Welcome to the Chuck Williams Show. In this edition, what is GOP 2.0? We're about to talk to the guy who wrote the book, literally. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Thanks for joining us, and we're with Jeff Duncan. He's Lieutenant Governor of the State of Georgia. He's been that for almost three years now. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Doing great. Thanks for the opportunity to be on with you, Chuck. Um, you've, you've been living an interesting life since, uh, since before November of 2020. Um, you're in a, you're in a strange place. You're the number two guy in your party as Lieutenant Governor of the state of Georgia. You were elected in 2018, but you have chosen to speak out against former president Trump and against the conspiracy theories. Why, why have you chosen to be so vocal about this? Well, one, my wife would argue that I've been living an interesting life since high school um, <laughs> with baseball and business and politics now. But, uh, look, you know, th- this wasn't any sort of intentional mission uh, that was planned and plotted years ago to speak out against a former president or at the time a sitting president. Uh, I just I, I'm I'm a rock solid conservative. I just believe in conservative values. They mean a lot to me. They mean a lot to the future of this country, how I raise my kids, how I run my business. And when I watch the, the fake news or the conspiracy theory stuff fly out post-election, uh, I just realized it was a threat to those conservative values because at the end of the day, Chuck, I think honesty is the number one conservative value. I think that that's just something that allows us uh, to, to stand the test of time if we're being honest with each other and with the people we're trying to court as voters. And I watched that under direct attack and it's just how I'm wired. I, I just couldn't sit on the sidelines and watch my party get disrupted like that. So the bedrock of conservatism in your book is honesty. Yeah, you know, the, the, that was really the genesis of the whole book was to put out there and remind us of all the things that we're really good at. If we're being honest, honesty is, you know, good leaders are, are intellectually honest with themselves and with those around them. And, and the honest answer to what happened in 2020 for Republicans is, Donald Trump did a lot of really good things while he was in office, right? He took on tax reform and, you know, tried to take on the border and other things, but he did it with, with, with an alienating tone or a divisive tone. And that just wasn't enough to win. That's being intellectually honest. And we've got, we've got to change gears on that. Your background, you brought it up. You played baseball, you played at tech, you played minor league baseball. You're a, you were an elite athlete. Um, what did you learn in your athletic days that's translating into how you're living your life and what you're, the stands you're taking today? Yeah, great, great question. So I had to learn midway through my career how to channel my competitiveness to learn, right? So early on, you know, when I was in high school and college and the early levels of the minor leagues, I could just get really pumped up and throw fastballs by people. And then as you got higher and higher and higher, you realize, look, you got to actually be able to be good at this. You got to throw strikes and change speeds and have a plan and study. You had to learn from your losses. And that's when I really became a much better pitcher. And that really was a big part of the book and the movement, right? This isn't just about a book, GOP 2.0. This is about a movement. And it's about learning from our losses so that we eventually become even better. And that's really where I'm at at this point. What's the best team you ever played on? What was the the best team you were ever part of for that one magical season? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. The 1994 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets team. I was a freshman. Uh, we had Nomar Garcia Pars, our shortstop. Jason Veritek is our catcher. 
Jay Payton as our center fielder, who, by the way, statistically was the best hitter on that team. Uh, we went to the College World Series, and we made it all the way to the national championship game and unfortunately got beat. But uh, I've never played on a team that, that, that talented in my life. So you know a thing or two about being on a team. Why outside of great players? I mean, great players do make great teams. But there's also other things involved chemistry. Why was that team so good, and why was it a team? Yeah, I think it's because everybody had – and, look, I've had this this experience with other teams, too, throughout the minor leagues, and, and both on the positive and negative side of this. Uh, when, when the team plays together and wants to win, more so than they want to be the man, then I think you actually get to – you know, you, you're much – you achieve your full potential as a team. What we're watching play out in, in the Republican Party is I played on teams like this before – where one person's individual ego or goals or initiatives were bigger than the, than the cumulative win. And that's, that explains Donald Trump. I mean, look, I was not shocked or surprised by a single word that came out of his mouth on Saturday in Perry, Georgia. I just wasn't shocked. Right. It, even it, the, even the pseudo endorsement of Stacey yeah, Abrams. I, I, I wasn't shocked because I've seen that coming for the better part of a year. Right, I've seen the selfish, self-centered approach. This isn't about conservatism for Donald Trump anymore. This is about saving face and trying to off-gas his own failure. He missed the layup with nobody around him because he just was too concerned with poking people and instead of talking about what he did well or what the party could do in the future. And so I, it didn't shock me. Unfortunately, it didn't shock me. But now, it, but it certainly got the attention of people all over the country. I mean, GOP 2.0, uh, the book and the movement, uh, Donald Trump did us a huge favor by being so out, outlandish with his with his you know behavior and his words about Stacey Abrams. I mean, anybody in their right mind understands that Brian Kemp is the most conservative governor in Georgia's history. If that's where you align yourself politically, then you should vote for him. There's no way in the world we should confuse that with bringing Stacey Abrams into the into the fold as a true conservative. But Donald Trump did because he cares about one thing, and that's saving face. You know, what's interesting in, I was, I was not there Saturday night. I had a chance to cover I, it. I wasn't, I wasn't either, by the way. <laughs> I was, I was at a concert in a venue in downtown Columbus that was brand new. It was spectacular. You, I think, were at a ball game, weren't you? Uh, I was, and then uh, I had to drive down to, uh, on Sunday, I had to get up and come down to Savannah for a Senate caucus retreat. But is, one of the things that stood out to me, if you go back to 2018, you won the Republican primary and then won the uh, general election. Essentially, the the biggest fight was in the primary. If you look at it, look at it from a realistic standpoint. Um, when you won that, you defeated David Schaefer. Senator Schaefer was had come through the Senate. It was you know a formidable Georgia politician, a formidable Georgia Republican. You defeated Schaefer. Saturday night, you were nowhere to be found in, in near Perry, Georgia. Senator Schaefer, is, in his role as head of the Georgia Republican Party now, was on the stage before Donald Trump. You won. He lost. Why are winners going in, some of the winners like you, and Raffensperger going in one direction, people who lost going, hanging with the Trump, the Trumpian approach. Well, 
uh, I'm not going to speak to the David Schaefer that I beat in the election because that's behind us, and, and I won, and, and I'm certainly grateful for the, the hundreds of thousands of Georgia, Georgia Republicans that picked me over him. I will talk about his role as the party chair over the last nine months, and it's, it's been pathetic. Uh, you know, even on the, 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 I think one of the pinnacle moments of, of just misaligned goals for the state party was on the day of the runoff, right? So this is January 5th. David Schaefer is out there tweeting about judicial cases to overturn Donald Trump's, I don't even remember what the exact thing was, but it's some court case out there, or, or he was, he felt, you know, uh, you know, mistreated about a case not being heard, blah, blah, blah. Instead of trying to get two solid Republicans reelected in that runoff, and we saw how that played out, that that type of behavior has continued. But but look, Chuck, I could spend all day talking about the things I don't like, but I'm going to choose to speak about the things I do like, and that is I do feel like the tide is turning. I, my why do, phone why do you say that, Jeff? Why do you say that? Well, because I, you know, it's just the the weight of reality is always right. Sometimes it just takes longer to be right, right? So the the reality is. There's no fraud. There's no systemic. Donald Trump didn't lose Georgia because of the Dominion machines or Chinese money or, you know, fraud, you know, some sort of global conspiracy. Uh, as I reminded the Senate caucus, uh, Republican caucus yesterday, 53.7% of Georgians voted for them in this previous election in 2020. 53.7%. That's because they believed in conservative leadership here in Georgia. They believe that those Republican senators were taking their kids' best interests when they're making decisions around education, transportation, tax reform, uh, government state re government regulations. I think that's a great coup, you know, a great pat on the back to Republican senators. Donald Trump got 49.5% because he just decided to, to show himself and act up. That's interesting. Are you, you know, and we've got one of those conservative senators that represents part of North Columbus, Senator Robertson, Randy Robertson. And, I mean, Randy had a fairly easy run of it. I mean, so there, what you're saying is that this, the ones that are, on the, that are closest to the voters, the senators, the representatives, the mayors, that conservative values still matter, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what I want to keep reminding folks. But going back to the first part of the answer, the weight of reality is that Georgia is a, a center-right-leaning state. They appreciate conservative values. They appreciate a governor who has balanced lives and livelihoods like no other governor in the country. He's allowed us to have almost the lowest unemployment rate in the country and trying to balance making sure we have the healthcare professionals and facilities to take care of those with COVID and still allowing us to earn a paycheck to put food on the table, right? I, I think those conservative values matter. Um, and I think Georgians appreciate those, but, but there's a limit to how, you know, and Donald Trump approached that limit and got us to the point where we can't have, um, you know, we, we, we can't cross that line. And, and Chuck, the, the unfortunate part right now is as a Republican, I'm, I'm on national TV a couple of times a week and doing this and that. I, I wish I had the opportunity to sit there and talk about all the failed leadership examples that's happening in the Biden administration right now, right? Even a, a large swath of voters that voted for Joe Biden because they couldn't stomach Donald Trump are now looking up going, what in the world do we do now? Right. I mean, this guy hasn't made a good decision in Afghanistan yet. The border's a disaster. Inflation's a runaway freight train. Crime is still continuing to the, the mandates are confusing. All of that. I wish I could talk about that, you know, three, four times a week on national TV. But instead, I got to defend the honor and save the soul of my party just to have a chance to come back in 2024 for our party to try to win the White House back. I mean, that's what all my efforts are focused on right now. 
What before we get to twenty twenty four, you're going to have twenty twenty two, and Governor Kemp's going to be in the middle of that litmus test. I know you and Governor Kemp. I mean, I watched y'all in twenty eighteen campaign together. I watched y'all get off the same bus in Columbus and other places. Y'all clearly worked together going into that general. Um, what are you telling the governor right now? Because you know he's. He's got to feel like, when's this going to stop? Yeah, I just, my, my continued encouragement to him to keep doing the same thing, <clears throat> you know, keep putting those conservative values on display and his leadership style, uh, you know, avoid the rhetoric. <clears throat> you know, I tell a story in the book. Uh, I got invited to ride the beast one time. It was or actually twice. I, I tell both stories. It's pretty funny. But, you know, you just saw the shallowness of, of, of Trump. In, in an example where he gets in the car and he starts screaming and hollering at me, I didn't really know. I mean, I, this is a president. I don't really know the guy very well. It's not like, you know, and he's like, did you see, you know, CNN, they had a crinkled setting there. Every time I go on their show, they make me look old and wrinkled. And what should I do? And I was like, I think you should just keep winning. Avoid it. If you tell them it bothers you, they're going to keep doing it. He's like, I really like that advice, but I can't help myself. And he opens the door and he just whoosh, lashes out. We got to avoid that as Republicans. If we truly want to be in charge, I think the voters can see through that childish type behavior. And and Brian Kemp is doing a great job leading the state. Uh, it's unfortunate that he's got to deal with Donald Trump and all his you know rhetoric, but uh, Brian's going to get through it. He's going to be a great leader for us, and he's going to hopefully be able to take take the reins for another four years here in Georgia. Um, I think if we have a Kemp Abrams matchup in going into November, it's about a year away. If we're in that campaign season this time next year, that could be an epic campaign. I mean, that could be that could be something that ends up in the history books. Don't you agree? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, we seem to have a knack for doing the history books thing with elections here in Georgia the last year or so. But, you know, look, I just good leadership, I, I, I think, is really the, the ultimate goal of an elected official. And, um, Sorry about that. I was getting a call. Uh, good leadership is about, you know, uh, is, is really what I think we're elected to do. And Brian Kemp's doing that every day. Um, I want to talk about another conservative. I want to talk about Brad Raffensperger. Um, he got another letter last week from President Trump, former President Trump, asking him to overturn the results from November of 2020. Somebody says Brad Raffensperger to you. What's your immediate response? Conservative. I served with Brad in the house. We actually sat and sat right behind me. I used to tell him he used to cheat off my paper. Uh, super <laughs> so you, conservative, right? I mean, our, our conservative ratings over in the over in the house were just off the charts. Right? We were probably in the top five percent of conservatives with our voting records. In fact, when we were running for office, uh, we were often accused of, of you know statewide office for being too conservative to, to be, hold a statewide elected office. Brad Raffensperger is a conservative. He's a very successful entrepreneur. Uh, he's a solid family man. I mean, this guy is exactly what the Republican playbook says. This is what you're supposed to you know, look at, look and act like. Uh, the only thing he did was he didn't take Donald Trump's bait and try to lie to the lie to America and turn an election, a uh, legal election. That's it. Right. And, and, and that, that goes to this, this whole shallow vetting process that that Donald Trump's got going on now you know they, they keep talking about this record number of people that he's endorsing around the country his his endorsement request app or his endorsement application has one question on it it doesn't ask do you believe in limited government have you voted to protect the Second Amendment 
do you believe in, you know, all these, you know, criminal justice? Do you believe in the, all of the, the Republican The, the litany of Republican Republicanism. Right. The only question it asks is, were you with me on the conspiracy stuff? Yes or no? If you check yes, you move to the next level. If you check no, you're, you're, you're off the table. That's it. That's, you know, if somebody's sitting here watching and, and has covered politics for almost three decades now, that's nuts. I mean, that doesn't make any sense unless, I mean, I've never seen a Republican act like that. No, and, and that, look, I'm an optimist. My wife says that, you know, I'm my, more than the glass half full. I think my glass is running over, right? Okay. Here, here's, here's where my optimistic mentality comes in. I think that helps us. This, this is, this, this off unhinged behavior is accelerating a movement towards GOP 2.0, which is just a better pathway forward. It's not a new party. It's a safe place for solid conservatives to call home. The folks that are with us on 10 out of 10 issues, the folks that are with us on eight out of 10 issues, call this home and try to put a party back together to try to put our leadership back on display at both the national level the state level and at the local level. I mean, Chuck, the, the, the crazy part about the next couple of election cycles is there's going to be mayor's races in Kansas and, you know, all types of races, city council races all across the country. They're going to be determined on whether or not you believed or publicly supported conspiracy theories. That's crazy, right? That's not what Republicans are about. I, I, I encourage as many folks as, as they can that are trying to figure out are Republicans real Forgive us for this temporary moment of insanity. We're going to get our act together. We're going to be back at it. But I believe Donald Trump's unhinged behavior is accelerating the movement towards a GOP 2.0. And I'm watching the fruit of it, right? The book is being well-received all over the country. People are going to GOP2.org and signing up from literally states from every corner of the country. Um, I'm watching it play out. Um, I wish it happened tomorrow. It's going to take some more time, but we're, we're headed there. So you're not going to see, I mean, in Georgia – you get elected lieutenant governor, and it is traditionally an eight-year job. I mean, Georgia lieutenant governors have traditionally sought re-election, and they've kind of sat there and waited to see if they could move into a governor's race or whatever. You chose to end your career, or you chose to stop and not run for re-election, which is an unusual move. Why did you make that decision? Yeah, one, I love the job of lieutenant governor. I just reminded the, the Senate Republicans at our caucus retreat yesterday how much I enjoy the job. Uh, it's amazing how much work we've got done in the last three sessions, really put a lot of really big conservative ideas. And I think we've built a lot of relationships across the aisle on some of these big issues. We brought them towards us instead of pushing them away. Uh, so I'm not, not running again because I don't like the job, quite the contrary. Uh, but look, I've got to commit every piece of energy I've got in all my skills to trying to heal and rebuild this party nationally. I want to have a conversation with 50 states. I can't just, I can't do that if I'm trying to run for reelection for Lieutenant governor. And, you know, I, I've, I've told everybody from day one, when I started campaigning for Lieutenant governor, even before that, when I ran for the state house, I'm not really drawn towards politics. I'm drawn towards the leadership side of the job. And, uh, at the risk of walking away from a great job, um, and, uh, you know, kind of, taking a different direction than most lieutenant governors take. I'm okay with it because I feel like this is the time in our party's future uh, and in and, and our party's, you know, kind of history to go have a conversation with America and try to heal and rebuild this party. Uh, there's not enough of us doing it, and I'm going to try to lead the charge. Does your athletic background allow you to do that a little easier? Because baseball is all about a season. 
You know, what happened last season doesn't matter this season. You know, next season can wait. It's this season. Are you? Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. And I don't know if I ever even thought through that. But, you know, uh, going through, you know, baseball, I, I, you could have been content to just be a college baseball player, but I wanted to get to the next level. And then I was in rookie ball and, and I had a great season and I could be comfortable having great seasons in A ball and double A and triple A. But you constantly want to, and, and I guess I have that same mentality in business, right? I, we, we start a business and we're successful and we want to grow the business and be successful. And then we want to start another one. Uh, that's, that's to me, that, that's progression in the party. We can't just sit flat footed. And that's really where I think we're at. In fact, I think we're actually taking steps backwards. And unfortunately, the national elections are playing that out. Uh, I'm a fixer by nature, and maybe that's my Georgia Tech background. I want to come in and fix what's broken and improve what we've got. You have a house full of boys. Your boys are of the age. I mean, you've got, what, four boys? Three. Three boys. Okay. Three that's boys. enough. <laughs> Believe me, I grew up with a family of three boys. It's plenty. The mom is definitely outnumbered. Um, yeah. You've got three boys. They're various ages from high school to college, right? Yeah, I've got a sophomore in college, a sophomore in high school, and a fifth grader. Wow. So you've got the whole spectrum. What do you want? And this may not be a totally fair question. It may take you a second to think about it. What do you want your fifth grader to get out of what they're watching their dad go through now? What do you want your high schooler to get out of what he's watching you go through now? And what do you want your college kid to get out of what – they're watching you go through now because that's three very different developmental phases. Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. Uh, great question, by the way, because at our house, a lot of the stories in the book are really centered around my, my family and my boys specifically, um, especially during the, 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 the six or the 10 weeks of chaos when Trump was, you know, trying to rearrange our, 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 our family. Um, so my fifth grader, I think the takeaway is I want him to see when dad's on TV, dad, dad's honest. Right. I think that's a big deal in trying to shape uh, him. Like just because the former president doesn't agree with you doesn't mean you don't do the right thing. So the same guy that he sees at the dinner table or in yep. the car is the same guy that he sees on TV. Yep, that's exactly right. My 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 sophomore in high school, big, strong kid, football, baseball kid. Uh, I think the takeaway is I want him to see that dad, dad's got courage to do the right thing. And he actually there's a story in the book. He reminded me of that. I. One of, one of his small groups for church had asked the dads to give a, a, a saying to their kids as they went off to middle school. And I just kind of took a Sharpie and wrote, doing the right thing will never be the wrong thing. And he encouraged me. He, he reminded me of that. And that, that takes courage to do that. So I think I want Baylor to, to have the takeaway on that. Parker, interesting. Uh, he's a political science major at, at UGA. He loves this stuff. And I want him to see that this is policy over politics, which was my campaign slogan. And really putting that on display, and and I'm in the midst of 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 a, of a test, right? For it was for Georgia. Now, hopefully, the rest of the country is starting to see it. I believe policy over politics can work. I think it does work. I've got to put it on display in the Senate over the last three years. I think the Democrats would agree that the policy over politics has been the dominant force inside the Senate over the last three years. So that's a great question, and certainly, I think all three kids take take different things away from Dad when they see him on TV or read about him in the paper. And I know your wife has to have a different tack of this, too, because as a political spouse, it's never fun to watch somebody attack the person you love the most. I mean, to watch that person under attack and stuff. I mean, how much support are you getting from that side of it? 
Yeah, so Brooke, Brooke's been by my side since high school. Uh, so girls. high school sweet work. She went all the way through the minors with you, right? Yeah, yeah uh, well, she's still with me now. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, we, we met in high school, went to Georgia Tech together, and once I got drafted, we got married, and, and, and life has been in the fast lane since. Super, you know, huge, huge, huge supporter of mine. Uh, great, you know, keeps keeps a grounded base at home, and, and certainly, yeah, you know, she 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 gets more upset about folks saying negative things about us, but you know, look, it it really hit home when I I was doing a national TV uh, interview. Uh, I don't remember what it was about. Donald Trump tweeted at me, and within minutes, she started to receive threats on her phone, and then subsequently, I started to receive threats. That, 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 that was unfortunate. Uh, she's a tough girl. Uh, I love her to death and, and certainly glad to have her on my side through this whole process. That's the part of this that people don't realize about politics is while you're in the spotlight and you're the lieutenant governor of the great state of Georgia, you've got a family that is impacted by this as well. I mean, in by decision you made to run for office and get elected. I mean, do, do you kind of – Take responsibility is the absolute wrong phrase, but do you think about, hey, you know, I put my family in the middle of this because of my political ambitions or my policy over politics philosophy of life? Do you, does that ever hit you, Jeff? Yeah, there's a weight to it. Um, yeah, there's there's certainly a weight, and I think the most important uh, way for me to react to that is to always put them first. Uh, and I think we've done a really good job. I, 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 I get a lot of pushback from, you know, folks that are around politics that don't see me at enough dinners um, or, you know, or I'm, I'm at my kid's game instead of giving a speech somewhere. Uh, and to your point, my kids didn't choose to run for office. I did. So why should they have to pay the price? Uh, and so hopefully they never wake up with a doubt in their mind that dad puts them uh, over politics any day of the week. And, and, and I'm proud of that. And, and, and I got to be honest with you, Chuck, that really helps mold me as a decision maker in this job, right? I, I, get, I work around a lot of great people, and I work around a lot of people that have you know, their lives have been totally destroyed or disrupted because of politics. And I, I don't ever want that to be the case. Um, I, I just, I, I just it, it's, it's too painful to watch when that, when that starts to happen to other people. Politics, and this is for years of covering it and you're even more years of being around it, I call politics a drug. It's, and some people, I mean, what you're doing is rare to walk away from the drug, the, the, the elected high office part of it, to go into another phase of it. That doesn't happen a lot the way you're doing it. Do you think politics is a drug? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and there's there's a, a level of addiction to it that, you know, just causes all kinds of chaos and disruption at times. And, and not everybody's addicted to it and not everybody's addicted to it in a bad way. Some people are just wired to be politically minded. Um, I'm not right. I, I mean, I, I understand politics, but I'm not drawn towards it. Uh, the policy side, you know, being able to, to change a line in a bill that's 70 pages long that adds a, a you know, a, a level of sweetener to it is, is better to me than going to find a way to poke a, an elected official on the side and, and twist their arm to vote yes or no in a bill. I, I don't know if there's any examples of that at the Capitol of us over the last you know three years. And it makes it a little harder for us sometimes, but I think it ultimately makes us better uh, when we produce policy. 
You know, it's interesting because if you look at the core of a baseball organization or a baseball team, that's a political entity at the end of the day. I mean, the manager is part of it, the general manager, the leaders, the pitchers, the, you know, the players. I mean, it's a political environment and can be, right? Yeah, you're right. And every time I try to play politics, whether it be in baseball uh, or when I was running my businesses, uh, I just, I was terrible at it. What I realized was if I went out and pitched really well, it, it worked for me long term. When I was running my businesses, if I sold a lot of products and managed uh, the bottom line, then it worked out for me. And the same thing in, the, in this job of lieutenant governor. I'm just going to go put really good policies forward, stand for honesty and truth. And I just think long term it works for me. And I'm not looking at walking away from the lieutenant governor's job as a failure, it's just an opportunity. Uh, we've done a lot of good work. We've proven that policy over politics works in this job, and now we're going to go to the next to the next phase. When you sit down and think about your life, both athletically, business, pol- politics, who's the one person that shaped the Jeff Duncan we're seeing today? I think my dad. Um, you know, my dad was an athlete young, and so, uh, you know, I think he actually played Williamsport, PA, when he was a little kid and when he was 12. And so he was a great, great athlete growing up through high school, but had a tough family situation, had to go, you know, went to the Air Force and then had to go get a job. He's a successful business guy. He's a great family guy. He's got a strong faith. I think a lot of times in my life, I asked myself when I was faced with a tough decision, like, what would dad do? You know, what, what, what would dad do right now? Sometimes I'd pick up the phone and call him, and sometimes I just knew the answer. I just had to be courageous enough to, to go execute on that answer. Did he push you into athletics or encourage you to participate? No, uh, encourage, right? So I played football and baseball, and I talk about this in the book. Uh, I lived in seven states growing up. So every two years we had to move because of my dad's job. And my connection to finding new friends was sports. And so if I could show up to a new school and within the first week let them know I was the best athlete or one of the best athletes at the school, then I had a bunch of friends because I was going to make a team. And, you know, so I, I fortunately was able to play quarterback in high school and I did all the baseball stuff and did really well. The interesting thing, my parents, I never once heard my parents say a thing from the stands other than to clap their hands and cheer for me, ever. I never heard them speak up to an umpire, a coach, a bad call, nothing. They just sat there and cheered me on. They had me there on time and stayed till the end of the game. So they were there. They were there. Is that what you're trying to do with your with your boys that are athletic right now? Is did you, Are you modeling the behavior your dad and mom showed when you were coming up as an athlete? I hope. You know, I, it's funny. There's a group of coaches that I've coached both sets of my older kids with. Uh, you know, we stuck together for like six or seven years. And, and my oldest one, I probably wasn't as good. Right. I wanted, you know, I wanted to, you know, kind of put and I was relatively fresh out of professional baseball at the time. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. Trying to put it on display. Right. Just go, go, go be who you're going to be. My Actually, my oldest son, crazy enough as it is, was a really good baseball player. But he got to high school and realized he was an even better golfer. So he en- ended up playing four years of varsity golf uh, and did really, really well. It still is a great golfer to this day. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say he just beats the brakes <laughs> off me when we go play golf. That's that's humbling, isn't it? Um, oh, yeah. uh, you're, I want to go back to, to two people we talked about a little earlier in this thing, Governor Kemp and Secretary Raffensperger. I just want to ask you a quick question. How do you think history is going to remember Brian Kemp, and how is history going to remember Brad Raffensperger? 
Yeah, I think history is going to uh, want going to recognize Brian Kemp as as a great leader through a, a pandemic and through a period of time with social unrest. I mean, just I don't know if there's a period of time where a governor has had more kind of crisis to massive crisis to deal with at a state level. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, very favorable to um, his decision making, uh, without a doubt. I think Brad Raffensperger is going to be uh, remembered as a man of integrity. Do you still call both of those guys a, f- a friend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you say to your Republican friends who are distancing themselves from Raffensperger? Well, he's going to have opposition. I mean, so he's clearly in a battle that's different from Kemp's right now, though Kemp's situation could change. What do you say to the people that, are Trumpian that are that are throwing the Raffensburgers and the Kemp's under the bus right now. Yeah, I mean, I wake up, right? Donald Trump showed his hand on Saturday. Uh, I've already I've already known what the hand looks like, but he showed his cards by saying Stacey Abrams should be the governor instead of Brian Kemp. I mean, that's just ridiculous. It's un, it's just unbelievable. Um, and look, he's just selfish natured. Uh, the Brad Raffensperger piece, anybody out there, I'm like, look, who do you want to run your elections? The most honest person out there or somebody that's trying to fan the flames on, on an election. You know, I spent some time in the book talking, and I started this as to write a paragraph on this, and I ended up writing multiple pages about what would have happened had we not done the right thing here in Georgia, right? Had Brad Raffensperger, you know, played the Trump card just to win favor, or Brian Kemp had called us into a special session, or I stirred the pot inside the legislature and tried to get us back in there. And, and done all kinds of crazy things. I mean, it would have simply turned into a riot of epic proportion that would have cascaded across the country, literally. What we saw on January 6th would have been a small microcosm of what would have played out if we would have disenfranchised nearly two, two and a half million votes here in Georgia that went, unfortunately, for the other party. Um, and so my encouragement to folks, if they're having a problem doing it, is look, we got to make sure we've got good, honest people running, running these offices and, uh, Both have certainly earned the right to do that, despite the fact that Donald Trump doesn't like what they did. That doesn't make them not a conservative. Did you write the book or did you ghost it? It sounds like you wrote it almost fully. Yeah, I built a whole team around me. I've never written a book before. It was the most daunting task. I actually started writing this uh, before the election, right? I started writing an outline of GOP 2.0 because, and it wasn't because I thought it was going to fold I just felt like there was a better pathway forward. I was like millions of, of Republicans that, that, for the most part, enjoyed the policies that Donald Trump was promoting and, and getting across the finish line, but just couldn't come to grips with the, with the approach. And so I started writing the outline. I started writing the chapters. I had no idea how a book process worked. I went out and, and found an editor that helped me kind of shape, like, well, you need to put this story here and you need to put that story there. Uh, and then we found a publisher that was willing to take on the task and uh, copy, uh, copy, uh, copy editors, right? I, yeah. I was like the worst, not even spell check didn't even work on some of the words I put <laughs> in there. Um, but, you know, Chuck, I loved it so much, right? And it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard, but it just As was somebody it relatively, it, it was hard, but I've already started writing my next book. As somebody who spent 35 years in print journalism, People have no idea how hard writing and writing well is. It's a it's a job. 
So it, it's, it's more mental than anything else. It, it wasn't about the time. I could, I could come up with an idea in my mind and go to the keyboard and, and just feel like I look up and it's like I just wrote 12 pages and didn't even realize it. There's some days that I could sit down and write 12 words and it'd take three hours and it just didn't work. And I had to just understand when I was in the right mindset and when I wasn't. Were you a morning writer or an evening writer? Yes. Both? <laughs> so Yes. Because I can write from 5 a.m. to about 7.30 with coffee, no breakfast, and those, when I was doing some, a lot of serial narrative work at the paper, that was my most productive time. I couldn't write at night. I just didn't work, but I could write early in the morning, and I could be pretty prolific. It, yeah, it was fun, and look, I, there's an incredibly good team around me. I, I thank them in, in the rear of the book, uh, Jonathan Merck, Mitchell Ivers, uh, and others that really, really helped us kind of pull all this together. Alvin Townley. So, what is the – I want to ask you a question, and, and I hope it's a fair question. But you – obviously, there are people who agree with everything you've written or most of what you've written in that book. They agree with what they hear you say on CNN and Fox and other stations that you're, show, that you're appearing on now. They'll probably agree with a lot of what's in this podcast. But they may have been in Perry on Saturday night. They may call you up and say, Jeff, I agree with you, but I can't say that publicly. What do you say to those people that are doing that? Yeah, I get it. Um, they, you know, and I hear it every day, all day, right? I, a number of people from around the state come up, and, and it always looks like this. They look both ways, make sure nobody's close. They put their arm around me, and they say it just loud enough for me to hear, like, so proud of what you're doing. Thanks for being honest. This is so important to the party. I wish my district was more supportive of it, or I wish there was more air cover from the Republican Party, or I wish Donald Trump would make this easier and go away, right? My, my job is to not get mad at them. It's not to browbeat them. It's not to embarrass them. It's to continue to build a safe place to call home, because I believe what we're seeing play out with Donald Trump kind of taking the party off in some crazy tangent that has no chance of being reelected. I think what we're watching play out is, is his support is shaping up to be a mile wide and an inch deep. As soon as we're able to break through that, that kind of initial barrier, the floodgates are going to open. GOP 2.0 is going to make sense to an overwhelming majority of Republicans, and we'll get back on track. And I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be cordial. Uh, but I'm going to be direct with where we're going with GOP 2.0. And that's where I think this is headed. How do you, because you're taking, in your mind, a principled stand, how do you not sit in judgment to those people that whisper in your ear, I agree with you? but I can't, I don't have the air cover to say it publicly. You know, I mean, do you sit in judgment of them or do you just say, hey, that, that's him? I mean, because I'll bet a dollar to a donut, you have heard that multiple times with your caucus in Savannah this week. It is, uh, yeah, for, for, for me, it's a faith journey, right? I mean, I, I think I talk about that in the book. Actually, it's a term that, I don't even know where I came up with this. I probably heard it in a sermon somewhere, so I don't want to take credit for it. But it's called creative grace, right? Just just figure out a way to be, like, just let it go, right? It doesn't help me to get mad at these people. It doesn't help me to kind of, you know, stick a stick a little jab at them and say, well, you, you know, you're not courageous or whatever. doesn't matter. They're coming. I think most folks, you know, leadership's lonely uh, most days, and uh, not every day, but most days. And so just put on my armor, go to work, build a party, uh, that is that is about the future and not about the past. 
and I think we'll have an overwhelming number of support. Chuck, this this goes back to the Wayne Gretzky quote that he's so famous for. You know, what made him good is he didn't skate to where the puck was at. He skated where the puck was going. And I know where the puck's going. I just, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, it's cost me having to not, not run again for re-election. It's cost me having to be in the crosshairs of a former president. It's cost me, you know, having to not get invited to anything that's really fun or cool inside the party. That's all, that's all okay. I'm going to be there to help lead this party in the future. And whether that means here in Georgia or here nationally, I don't know what opportunities it presents itself, but I'm not worried about those. I'm just worried about getting it right. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do, Jeff, you couldn't do what you're doing right now if you halfway believed it. You've got to believe with your whole heart and your whole mind what you're doing is absolutely right. It's almost like you've got a 3-2 count on the best hitter in the league, bases loaded, and the game's going to be decided one way or another. you got a one-run lead, bottom of the ninth, and this pitch is going to decide it. If you don't believe in that pitch, you, you've already lost the battle, right? So you just teed me up for, for a story in the book. I'm going I'm, to I'm share it right here. I'm going to tell too much. Nobody's going to buy it. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so I was in, in the minor leagues. I got a call to go up to big league camp, big league spring training camp for one game. And I come in the game, and I come in to pitch. And I dreamed about this moment my entire life. I never pitched in a big league game. Although it was spring training, it was still a very, very big game. And we were playing the Mets. And, uh, uh, you know, I dreamed. I was going to strike out the side. I just knew it. Well, the first guy gets a hit on the first pitch. The second guy gets a hit on the second pitch. The third guy, I walk. I got bases loaded, no outs. My knees were knocking. I was doubting myself. I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm here. You know, I knew I was a failure. I should have never got drafted. All those doubts that ring in. John Olerud, the best hitter in baseball, comes into the batter's box. I get him three and two. Catcher calls timeout, jogs out there and goes, hey, I, can you throw a three-two changeup? I said, yeah, absolutely. Why? He goes, because if you throw a fastball, he's going to take your head off. <laughs> he goes in the box. I throw a 3-2 changeup. He pops it straight up to the shortstop, one out. Next guy comes up, ground ball, double play, inning over. I thought that was all about baseball. That was a good baseball story. But later in life, especially as I'm taking on GOP 2.0, to your point, this was about being able to throw the right pitch but having the confidence and the courage to do it. That's what this is all about you got to be able to have the skill, the aptitude, and the understanding to do the right thing, but you also got to have the courage. And the best moments in our lives, the most memorable moments in our lives, are when we match and marry those, those two sentiments together, and that's GOP 2.0. I will tell you a quick baseball story. I had just gotten to Columbus. We still had a double-A franchise at the time, Houston's double-A franchise. You remember a pitcher, Jerry Royce, I believe. He was a uh, he yeah. pitch. Jerry Royce shows up he's already out of the majors he shows up in a columbus mudcats box score on a game in knottsville on saturday night on the desk so i was like what is this so i had a sunday column back then so i said i'm gonna meet him at the park and see how jerry royce ended up on this team so big league pitcher he had had 200 plus wins something like that and i get to golden park and he's taking pictures of golden park and I didn't interrupt him. I just sort of watched him as he was taking pictures of everything from the stands to the outfield signs. And it was a traditional old Georgia baseball park. And finally I went up to him and I said, he ended up getting picked up by Houston. They put him on Columbus in the middle of the road trip. And he was in and I said, so what do you think of Columbus? 
and his line was this, and he turns out he took pictures of every baseball park he had ever played in. He was an amateur photographer, and his thing was to take pictures of all these parks. And he, I said, what do you think of Columbus? And he says, it's like a place frozen in time. And I tell you that story to say this. Do you feel like the state of Georgia, the Republican Party, is frozen in time right now? Yeah. Yes, but I see the opportunity in front of us, right? So this, the state of Georgia is a platform for GOP 2.0 for the negative reasons, but it's also for the positive reasons. It's, it's all the things that why, I mean, Kelly Leffler and David Perdue are not our U.S. senators because we let kind of the heart and soul of why we're Republicans get ripped out of their campaigns. That is an element of we can't go there. We can't do that. But then also we, we're doing so many great things in Georgia with our policies, with the way that we're combating some of these issues. And those are those are conservative principles that we get to put on display. So, yes, but I don't want it to be stuck in time. I want us to be able to be a, a shining light to the rest of the country as to what we can do when we put these these big ideas on display. And, and that's really why I'm so adamant about supporting Brian Kemp um, outside of you know him not agreeing with the president for a 10 week period of period of time. Who cares? That that's that's behind us. Last question, Governor. How will history remember Jeff Duncan? And you still got a lot of history to write. I mean, if you emerge as one of these leaders in 2.0, but how do you see yourself being remembered in this chapter of history? I, I don't know. It's it's hard to answer. I mean, I, I mean one of the things I fight for is just to be honest, right? You know, you know, for, for, for me, when, when I, you know, a headline hits, and you see some people for it, some people against it, whether a policy, I mean, you feel like, uh, you know, you're just being a good umpire, right? Calling balls and strikes. And that's really one of the mindsets I have when I come in as the president of the Senate and you got 56 senators and obviously I'm a Republican and I want Republican, you know, principles and whatnot, but I really view my job as a, as a good umpire. So maybe that's the answer. Uh, history will remember Jeff Duncan as a good umpire who called balls and strikes, regardless of who was in the batter's box. Last question. Huge week for the Braves. I'm going to give you a baseball question going in. I mean, two-and-a-half game lead, got three with the Phillies starting tonight. Um, do the Braves hold on and win the division, and what are their chances in the playoffs if they do? Yes, uh, they will. And I always love teams that have to fight their way into the playoffs because they end up hitting the ground running once they get there. They haven't had to turn on that competitive muscle. So I think the Braves do win. I think they take two out of three from Philly, and they, they walk into the playoffs uh, with or sprint into the playoffs with that competitive spirit in their heart. I got to tell you, uh, my kids are, are loving it. They're watching the Braves every night. I mean, we'll just put everything on hold. It kills us when they're on the West Coast. Oh, uh, those those Giants, Dodgers, and Padres games were brutal. Yeah, I didn't. I I, I catch I catch the box score when I get up in the morning. I certainly don't even attempt. I don't even most days even see the first inning. But you, you're. I hope you get to take the boys to a playoff game in the ne in the next week or so. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. We okay. got to look up look up for that. Well, our guest has been Jeff Duncan, Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, and Lieutenant Governor. Thank you for joining us. I, I hope. I mean, you've given me forty five minutes of your time, and uh, I really appreciate it. And I uh, look forward to seeing you down the road. I'm sure we'll be seeing you. You'll be in Columbus sometime soon. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Look forward to getting back down there. Thanks for the opportunity. And if you want more information, go to gop2.org. Okay. Thanks, Jeff. You be safe. Yep. Take care. That's it for this week's episode of The Chuck Williams Show. 
If you want to follow the Chuck Williams Show, you can get it on at WRBL.com every Tuesday from 7 to 8, and then it stays on there under the video section of our website. Go to Apple, Spotify, and iHeart. That's where the podcast versions can be picked up, and you can get the Chuck Williams Show on the go. And then on social media, I'm Twitter at Chuck Williams, Facebook, Chuck Williams, WRBL, and Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. Thanks for listening to the Chuck Williams Show, and I think I really wanted to interview Lieutenant Governor Duncan. I think Jeff Duncan has a story, Democrat or Republican, Trumpian or not, that all of us need to hear these days. I want to thank the Lieutenant Governor for taking time to be on the Chuck Williams Show and hope you come back next week. Our guest will be Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger.